Good morning. How's everyone doing? Good. Yeah. Yeah. All right. <laughs> um, yeah, it's an honor to share uh, with you guys this morning. Uh, I want to thank PU and Christine for uh, inviting my family uh, here uh, to renewal. And uh, it's, it's pretty cool. I actually grew up uh, in the Bay Area, uh, just a few cities away in Saratoga. And uh, this area has changed so much. Uh, I got lost several times driving around, um, but I took my children uh, back to some of my old uh, stomping grounds, Rainbow Park, uh, Cupertino Village, Tenerens, and Fantasia. I can't believe Fantasia still exists. It's changed so much. Um, and so, yeah, anyways, this is just, uh, P.U. kind of mentioned, this is my family. Uh, that's me, my wife, uh, that, that's Micah, and that's Noah. This was uh, during our ordination service uh, just a few months back. And so, as P.U. said, we were uh, sent out by Kairos, uh, back in uh, Kairos, our AMI church in San Diego, uh, in 2017. And uh, our church is called Providence Church, and God has been just doing amazing things in our city and as well as um, our church. And so before we kind of jump into our sermon, uh, just because of time, I'm going to share really brief, uh, briefly about um, just kind of our church background and just kind of like some statistics and things like that. And so first, uh, this is our church, uh, Providence Church in Chinese. It's called Buen Jiao Hui. Um, uh, it was started in 2009 by uh, Kate Moon, one of our missionaries in China right now. During that time, it was called Reach. And then in 2012, Pastor Ulysses and Christine and their family moved, came and took over the church. They shepherded the church, and it was the golden years. It was really amazing. Just, they, were, they planted a church in East, East Shanghai, and just a lot of people were coming to know the Lord. And because of the you know, the foundation that uh, Pastor Ulysses and Christine laid, you know, right now, we ha- because of them, we have, you know, just future deacons as small group leaders. So we really appreciate uh, the work that they uh, sowed into this ministry. Um, and then in 2017, uh, Napa, uh, Alice, and uh, me and my wife, we kind of took over uh, the church, and we were just shepherding the church um, from then. And so, actually, I kind of wanted to just show you a picture. This is, I don't know, it's a little bit blurry, a little bit pixelated. But this is uh, Napa and Alice. We, are co- we co-pastor um, Providence Church, and it's been just really exciting. Uh, the next one is, uh, this is our demographic. This is Providence Church. Uh, we have around 85 members, 60% singles, 30% married, 10% kids. Our median age is around uh, 35 Okay, and this is our next one. Uh, this is our staff. Uh, so Napa, he, uh, he's the working professionals pastor. Uh, for me, I'm the uh, college pastor. And then we, last year, we brought on a, a new staff member, uh, Tian Tian, and she is currently our missions director. And we have another, we have a lay staff. Her name is Jenny. And then we uh, just our small group background. We have around seven small groups. We have four in West Shanghai. It's also known as Pushi. Uh, two in East Shanghai, Pudong, and then uh, one college uh, small group. And then uh, one thing that was really exciting in 2020, AMI China uh, began sending out its first uh, one-year missionaries or missionary interns. And so we sent out one uh, to her name is Helen. Uh, she was saved at uh, at Providence. 
and uh, she, as a college student. And right now, uh, she just came back from her, actually she did two years in uh, Xinjiang. And we have Tian Tian, she came back 2021, and she, went, and she did a one-year um, missionary internship in, in Chengdu, okay? And so, next one. And so, one more exciting thing is in 2023, uh, we are going to plant our very first college church plant, and uh, hopefully in September. And right now, we're just kind of uh, getting the lay of the land. Uh, we're doing small groups, we're developing relationships, but hopefully, uh, we can plant a church in 2023, Okay. And so, yeah, that's just a brief view, overview of uh, Providence Church. And so just some pray, uh, prayer requests. Uh, because of the political climate, uh, you guys probably have heard right now with the citywide lockdowns and just persecution, uh, just please pray for the perseverance and faith for our church members. Uh, we need more kingdom workers and church leaders. And the third one is divine appointments with students as we prepare to plant our church, college site in uh, 2023. So if you guys can continue to pray for us, uh, we would really appreciate that. Okay, so um, as P.U. mentioned, um, we're going to talk about Romans 8. And, you know, this idea of spiritual uh, maturity, you know, this has been on my heart for a few years. And I think spiritual maturity is one of those words we use a lot. um, But at the same time, we're not too sure what it is or even what it looks like. Um, This is something that I've been wrestling, you know, as I think about discipleship, as I'm thinking about planting a new church site, evangelism, right? How does a person become spiritually mature? You know, as as I'm doing evangelism, I'm looking at people who don't know Christ, and I'm looking at our future deacons and small group leaders. I'm like, how do you get from point A to point B? Right? How does a person kind of go from not even knowing what heaven and hell is, not even knowing what the Holy Spirit, God's grace, and kind of evolving and growing into a person who becomes a leader in the church. And this really puzzled me, and it almost kind of gave me a little bit fear, a little bit fear, because it's like, oh, how do you do that? Right? I know it's the Holy Spirit who's doing it, but I'm the one kind of going out and, and trying to disciple them and mentoring them, and it really just kind of forced me to process and think about Right. What is spiritual maturity? Right. Do you th- and how do you kind of approach it? And I kind of want to ask you guys, do you think you're spiritually mature? Right. How would you measure that? You know, sometimes we think people just randomly or just kind of out of the blue become spiritually mature. Maybe it's just their um, demeanor, their, their personality. But, and I think that's part of it. But I think what's more important you know, whatever spiritual, spiritual maturity is, it's, I think it's something that we can't ignore. Spiritual maturity is something that we can't casually approach. Right? As disciples of Jesus, it's our responsibility to actually pursue and learn what is spiritual maturity. And this morning, I, kinda, I know it's a very big topic, but I kind of want to s- share a small aspect of this topic, and I hope you'll be encouraged uh, this morning. So this morning, we're going to read Romans 8. 1 through 15. I'm just going to skip a few verses, but uh, we're just going to read this together. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ uh, from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do, by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful 
flesh and for sin. He condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Uh, Verse 12. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you do not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Can we pray? Holy Spirit, we welcome you into this place. God, you say, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Lord, as Christians, Lord, we have an obligation to live according to the Spirit. And Lord, I just pray that you would please open up our eyes. Help us to see um, and crave and desire this type of life. Lord, I know there's a lot of distractions in this world, a lot of things that we can rely on. But Lord, I I pray that you would please open up our eyes to see that we can only live by you. All we need is you. And so, Lord, I just pray that you please bless us this morning. In your name I pray, amen. So I kind of want to, before we start, I want to share a scenario. You know, when COVID-19, when the COVID-19 outbreak happened in uh, in Asia, you know, my family, we were on vacation in in Taiwan. And during that time, we were kind of deciding, should we stay in Taiwan or go back to the U.S. or go back to uh, East Asia? You know, staying in Taiwan as much as I wanted to uh, for the long term is not, it was not an option. Um, So we decided to stay in Taiwan an extra week uh, just to kind of seek the Lord and and pray. Lord, where should we go? And we called Pastor Peter uh, in San Diego, and he said, if you want, uh, AMI is willing to evacuate all the missionaries. And during that time, we were hearing all over the news that a lot of people were actually, you know, dying from COVID uh, in, in, in China. And my wife and I, we weren't really worried about ourselves. We are more worried about our uh, oldest son, Micah. And he was around one at that time. And my pastor was encouraging me, well, I, I think you should come back to the States. And it was tough. It was a really tough decision. We were talking to different people. And my parents, they really wanted me to come back. Right? They were trying to figure out different ways. They are like, how about, you know, Micah and Annie come back and you go back to East Asia? <laughs> Uh, one aunt said, um, you know, I was being an irresponsible parent uh, to my child for bringing my child into essentially what was chaos. Everyone was telling me to either stay in Taiwan or quickly fly back to America. You know, after a week we prayed, uh, we just really felt the Holy Spirit was leading us uh, to, go back to go back to China. And so I kind of want to ask you, right, during this pandemic, during the very beginning of the pandemic, was it wrong, would it have been wrong to go back to America? Right? Did I make the right decision? Is there even a right or wrong decision? And you know, the cliche answer, there is a right decision, right? It's what the Holy Spirit wants. But I, and I think 
what's even more important is how do you know what God wants? Right, we all know we need to follow God, but I think the challenge is how do you know what God wants? I think this is really important for us as Christians to understand. This is what Dallas Willard said. Uh, sorry, it's a little bit small. This is what he says. He says that as Christians, our discipleship life can be simplified into two categories. Either you follow your flesh or, and desires or you follow God's spirit. There is no middle ground. Therefore, it is our job as a sheep to learn how to hear God's spirit. When we kind of look at this phrase, it seems very black and white. It seems very just, really, God? There is no middle ground. And I think this is what Paul actually talks about, this idea of the flesh and the spirit in Romans 8, uh, chapter 8, 1 through 15. You see, the background of this passage uh, is that in chapter 7, Paul talks about how the Mosaic law, even though it is good, has helped him realize that he is enslaved to sin. Um, even, even though he knows uh, what is good, he cannot do good because of sin, right? This is Romans chapter, eight, uh, chapter 7, verse 18. He says, For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh, for I have this desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. And if you read chapter 7, it seems like a very hopeless passage, right? I want to do good, but I can't. And, and I, Lord, can you please set me free and all these things. And at the very end, right, there is a bit of hope, right? In chapter 7, verse 25, he says, Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Why, why does all of a sudden he say, thanks be to God? In chapter 8, verse 2 through 3, this is what he says, For the law of the Spirit has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. And for a moment, I want us to look at verse 2. He says, set you free. You know, in philosophy, there are two types of freedom. There is negative freedom and positive freedom. First one is negative freedom. Negative freedom means freedom from external restraint on one's actions. For example, it's like being able to travel, you know, after you retire because you don't have many responsibilities, right? This, this is the common understanding of being set free, right? No restraints. And oftentimes we kind of view our Christian life through this lens of freedom, we ask God, set me free from sin. And what we really mean is, God, don't let sin influence me. Don't let sin control me. But the reality is, if we're really honest with ourselves, right, we struggle with sin a lot. Um, the next one is positive freedom. Right, positive freedom means freedom to control and direct one's own life. For example, when a child becomes an adult, that is positive freedom. Right? As a child grows up, he gets to make more and more important decisions, and he gets to have more authority over his life. And for me, I feel like this is what Paul is talking about when he talks about freedom. He's talking about positive freedom, not negative freedom. Right? It's not that we have been set free. It's not only that we have been set free from the power of sin, so we don't sin. Right? We still sin, but now we have authority and the ability to say no to sin. Right? And and so how does this happen, right? It's because the Holy Spirit lives in us, right? Jesus has set us free through his death and resurrection, and now we have authority to choose, 
right? Choose what? And this is what verse five and six talk about. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit set their minds on things of the spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. Right, what is Paul talking about? He's, he's, he's saying, this is your choice, this is your freedom, right? We have the choice to either set our minds on things of the flesh or things of the spirit. What, is this, what does this mean? Right, following the spirit, we kind of have a vague idea, right? Oftentimes we think of it as, you know, reading Bible, praying, thinking about God a lot, worshiping. I think all those things are really important. We kind of have an idea, but how about set your mind, your mind on the things of the f- flesh? What does this mean? Does it simply mean that I, want, I just want to follow what I want? Right? That's, how we kind of, that's how we often understand this phrase. Right? If I went back to America during the pandemic, is that following my flesh? Or many of you, you guys want to make money, you guys want a new house, a new car. Right? Living the American dream, is that following the flesh? Not necessarily. But Paul, he seems to be showing us that following the flesh doesn't just mean a desire, right? We all desire things. It's natural, right? I want more money. I desire more Apple products, right? I, right? And it's kind of, ask, it's, I have to ask myself, am I following the flesh? Not necessarily, right? There's nothing wrong with these things. But there's something about the flesh that Paul wants us to understand, and it cannot be as simple as only looking at our desires or even our performance, right? Going to church versus not going to church, serving versus not serving, desiring material things or not. And I think that's how we tend to think when we think about following the flesh and the spirit. And I think it's a very limited uh, understanding, and it's how I uh, understood it. Because our lives are not split into secular and sacred, meaning God wants us to be mindful of the decisions we make at work, right? In our family, in our five-year plan, uh, in our relationships, our mini- in our ministries, right? All of these elements, God wants us to be mindful of the spirit and not the flesh. And I think it's important for us to identify what this means because Paul warns us that following the flesh actually leads to spiritual death. Right? It's not simply just coming to church or not. It's even in your work, in your marriage, in your family, you need to learn how to follow the Spirit. So what does it mean to set your minds on the Spirit and not set your mind on the flesh? And we're going to look at a different passage, Matthew 16, 13 through 17, 21 through 23. It's one of my favorite passages. So this, uh, this is what it says. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do, you, who do people say the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say I am? Simon uh, Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed, and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan, you are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. What is happening 
Right, if you're familiar with this passage, I don't know, for me, I read this passage many times, but as I was really processing it, it felt really strange. In one moment, Jesus, he's praising Peter for declaring that Jesus is the Christ, Jesus is the Messiah. Right? He's saying, God has revealed this to you. And then we know that Jesus doesn't praise Peter very often, but this time, but this time he does. However, immediately, Jesus says he's going to die in Jerusalem and be raised on the third day. And Peter says, no way, this shall never happen to you. And Jesus looks at Peter and immediately says, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. Right? Isn't that interesting? Literally, seconds later, he says, what you are saying, Peter, is actually from Satan. I don't think Peter knew what was happening. It wasn't like God was standing on one shoulder, Satan was standing on the other shoulder, and he's listening to what they're telling him. Right? From his perspective, he was replying to Jesus, but one reply had a fleshly element, and the other reply had a spiritual or spirit element. So let's look at this. Jesus is Christ equals setting your mind on the things of God. Right? You shall not die equals setting your mind on the things of God. Of man. So let's look at the first part, right? Christ in Greek is Lord, right? It means he is king, right? A king has authority and he has a kingdom. If you and I are part of his kingdom, that means we must submit to everything he tells us to do, right? We, we don't get to choose, right? We need pure obedience. And Peter recognized that and he wanted to follow Jesus. He's saying, Jesus, I will do whatever you say. You are my king. However, he, later he says, you shall not die. And it appears that Peter is caring, about, caring for Jesus. And oftentimes when I read this passage, right, I have pity on Peter. Right? Peter just wants to care for you, Jesus. Why are you rebuking him? Why are you saying, get behind me, Satan? But if you actually read kind of behind the text, and if you re carefully read, you'll see what's ha actually happening in Peter's heart. Peter knows that people in Jerusalem hate Jesus. They want to kill him. However, Peter is Jesus' follower, which means he will have to die as well. So Peter isn't really caring about Jesus. Peter is actually fearful for his own life. On the outside, he's saying, Jesus, I worship you. I, I care for you. Jesus, don't go. But in reality, Jesus, if you go, I will have to go, and I might have to die as well. And, and when what Peter is doing, he's protecting his own life. He's fearful for his own life. And, and I feel like this is what Jesus and Paul, they're saying. He's saying, mindful of the flesh is mindful of man's interest. It means you are fearful of losing your own life. It is when you go into a self-protecting mode. And that's why if you read Matthew Chapter 16, 24 through 25 and 26, it says, Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And that's what Paul is talking about in Romans chapter 8, 1 through 15, when he talks about following the flesh. 
You see, the money, the house, the car, the ministry, the comfort, our children's education, and their accomplishments, right? Most of these things are actually neutral. We can, des- we can desire these things. We, many of us want these things. There's nothing wrong with having these things in our lives. They're not bad things, but they become fleshly, where our motivation to obtain them is fear. When, when we want these things because we're fearful that our children will be left behind or if our children won't have the image that we want for them or even for ourselves, right? All of this is driven by fear. You know, in, in East Asia, there is a term called neijun. In, in, in English, the English translation is involution. Uh, in English, it's translated into rat race. Right? It's the idea that you're stuck in the cycle of where you try to move up uh, in society, but you can't because of how the system is organized or the competition is too fierce. And what it's doing, it's creating so much fear in, our, in, in people's lives. Right? For uh, ch- uh, parents who have children, it's pressuring parents right, to spend money that they don't have for education, extracurricular activities, because they don't want their children to fall behind in school. People will literally take out loans so they can send their kids you know, to after-school programs to private schools. Right? For parents and working people, they buy houses and cars with money that they don't have simply to save face. In this social phenomenon, um, is actually causing young people not to even want kids. And those who have kids, this nadrin is pushing kids to the brink of depression and suicide, all because they are afraid. You know, I, as, I, as I was kind of preparing, I was thinking about, you know, just growing up in uh, Silicon Valley, you know, just growing up in this environment. I think for us, it's a little bit different, right? You know, us in, in Silicon Valley and Shanghai are a little bit different but I think we fall into the same trap, right? When our thought, right, if you, you have to really examine yourself, when our thought is, if I don't have this house, this car, this job, if I don't send my kid to this school, that I'm not going to be okay or have value. Or if my children, they will not be okay or have value. When you choose not to serve, right, or even to join, you know, offline service because you're fearful of it interfering with your personal time, that's fear as well. Or when you have an opportunity to share the gospel at home or at work, but you're too fearful to share it because of how people might think of you or because your your office might have a certain political slant. Right? You're so concerned with protecting yourself, your reputation, your image, your life, that you're not willing to accept God's invitation in your life to do His will. And if we're honest with ourselves, I think many of us are driven by fear. And this is something that God challenged our church to face. And this past April and May, many of you know or read the news, our city went to a citywide lockdown. It's ironic. Uh, the government still doesn't acknowledge it was a citywide lockdown. They call it city management. And, and during this time, it was just very traumatizing uh, for our city. There was a lack of food. Uh, and during this time, people weren't actually afraid of getting COVID. They were afraid of being taken away uh, to a quarantine site. But during this time, our staff, we had a conviction that we needed to challenge our people not to be afraid. Right? Be wise, take precautionary measures, but go share with your, uh, 
Go share your food with your neighbors, even if it feels like you might not have enough. Right? Go be volunteers in your community, even at the risk of catching COVID and being taken away to the quarantine site. You know, we had one uh, sister, a, a new believer, and, and during this time, she tested positive. And she actually hid her um, results from the complex because she didn't want to be taken away. She knew it was wrong, and I felt like the Holy Spirit was really convicting her. And, but she just couldn't bear the thought of going. And so literally uh, a few days passed, and she just felt the Holy Spirit tell her, you need to talk to the staff. And as we talked and we prayed for her, she just felt, I think she was filled with the Spirit, and she said, I'm going to go. Or I'm going to tell them, and I'm going to get tested and be taken away. I will not be afraid. Right? I don't know if it was a miracle or a false positive, but her uh, you know, PCR tests came out both negative. And, and, and this morning, I kind of want us to think about this. Like, really be honest with yourselves. How many decisions that you've made in your life have been predicated on self-protection and fear. And it's really important as Christians, we don't live this way. Why? Because in Romans chapter 8, 14 through 15, he says, for all who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. For you do not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you receive the spirit of adoptions as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. And I want us to really focus and, and just really notice this. He says, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. What makes you a Christian or a son of God? It's not just the sinner's prayer that you made years ago. I think that's part of the process, but it's not the entire thing. It's not that you go to church. It's not that you believe in a God, right? James 2.19 says, demons believe in a God, believe in God, but they are not saved. It's not because you serve a lot, you're on the worship team, you lead small group, you go to small group, you feed the poor, you love your family. That's not what makes you a son of God. Paul clearly states, it's that when you live a life by the Spirit and not trying to protect your own life, then you are a son of God. And the thing is, we are constantly trying to protect ourselves, right? Our time, our image, our comfort, keeping things for ourselves instead of fully surrender to the Spirit. And so if you struggle with this, right? If you're honest with yourself, you know you struggle with this, right? how do you live by the Spirit? I think, you know, the solution is not to think, you know, I won't be fearful anymore, right? We can't will ourselves to stop fearing. I think fear is something that's almost innate in us, right? It's because of sin. We want to naturally protect ourselves. Um, and, and therefore, we must fight this mindset. And it requires work. It requires effort. So how do you live by the Spirit? The first one is we need to learn how to host the Spirit. He says this, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on on things of the Spirit. You know, uh, in Greek, uh, set their minds on is phreneo. And it's, tra- and it's translated into kind of constantly thinking about or obsessively thinking about a certain thing. And that's how we kind of interpret set your mind on things of the Spirit. We constantly think about Jesus. We think about God, may- maybe meditate on His Word. And I think that's part of it. But the Chinese actually has a better translation. 
In Chinese, it's translated into tie. Everyone, can you say tie? Tie is body. Shenti tie is body. Tie is to stick. Okay, and what it literally means is to attach your body to something or somebody. Right? And the, the idea is to move as they move. And this word is actually used in the context of hosting somebody. Right? When you are hosting somebody, you're mindful of everything that they like, want, and say. For example, if, if, uh, if Pastor Ulysses came to Shanghai, came to my house, you know, what, what am I going to do? I'm going to prepare a bed for him, prepare towels. Right? I'm going to take him to his favorite restaurants, take him to eat wontons. In Shanghai, the wontons are really good. Um, they're really cheap. They're $1. Okay, $1 for like 10 or 14. It's really good. Okay? So you guys come, I'll take you. <laughs> if I don't know what he wants, what am I going to do? I'm going to ask him. When he comes to my house, I'm not going through my own routine, but I'll make sure that he is taken care of. I will break my routine so that he is comfortable and enjoys his time in Shanghai. You see, that's what hosting means. That's what TTM means. That's what set your mind on the things of the Spirit means. It's setting aside what you want and asking and learning what a person's needs are. That's what a good host does. And so I kind of want to ask you, are you a good host to the Holy Spirit? Do you know what the Holy Spirit wants to do in your life? You know, as you make decisions to move, right, where to work, how to serve, whether or not to serve, whether or not to resume offline service, whether to go on missions, to evangelize, are you mindful of the Holy Spirit? Are you hosting him? Are you asking, Holy Spirit, what do you want me to do? Right? If Jesus is truly your Christ, if he's truly your king, are you mindful of the desires of your king? Or are you like Peter and, and, and Matthew? On the outside, you seem religious. On the outside, you seem like you care about God. God, this is, I, like, I want to serve you. But in reality, what's really in your heart is you're mindful of only what you want, what you care about, what you desire, what you are fearful of. And for us to know, it really requires us to spend time with Jesus. Right? You need to have your quiet times, whether in the morning or at night. I know you guys, are start, you guys have morning prayer, and we need to take advantage of that. Right? The devotion, right? the morning prayers is when you're praying, connecting with the Lord. You're, you're reading scripture, and you're worshiping, and, you're, and God, he's downloading, or he's giving you information of what he wants of you, what he desires of you. Without spiritual disciplines, you can't live a life that sets your mind on Christ. In our church, three years, uh, a few years ago, this is what we've been learning. Right? Every morning, we, we, uh, a few years ago, we started our morning prayer, 6.30 to 7.30. Where we do it on Zoom. We go through a Bible plan. Our staff, we prepare 15 to 20 minutes of sharing every day, and, and we just pray. You know, at first, it was a challenge but we, we start to realize, right, we needed to hear from the Lord. And you can do this. 
Everyone can do this. Don't think, right, it's only for the, you know, super spiritual Christians. You know, I challenged our people. If you can wake up at 5 a.m. to catch a flight, wake up at 5 a.m. to go golfing or to climb mountains or whatever you guys do, you can wake up at 6.30 to pray. Right, of course, you know, everyone has their certain situations, right? It doesn't have to be in the morning, but intentionally, setting aside time to be with him, to hear him, to know what he wants of you. We are so good at setting our minds on ourselves, our husbands, our wives, our children, especially our bosses, our friends, but not the Holy Spirit. And I believe this, this, it's an essential step to Christian maturity. And I think that's why for many of us, we've been Christians for so long, even for me as I'm pondering this, as I'm thinking about this, I've been Christian for so long, but we struggle with experiencing God. We're so concerned with what we want and we ignore what God wants, but God, he's inviting you and me to experience something awesome, but oftentimes we are too afraid. And this morning, I wanna encourage you, when you make decisions, you know, many of you guys are, I know in, in Silicon Valley, you guys switch jobs left and right. You guys are moving, you know, left and right. You guys are trying to find the best schools, the best cars, all these things, and these are okay. But have you ever thought about slowing down, pausing, and saying, God, what is it that you want for me and my family? And that is how you set your mind on the Spirit. The second is, to obey the Holy Spirit. Romans 8, 13, for you live according to the flesh, you will die, but if uh, by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. What is Paul saying? Paul is saying the true test of obedience is when you disagree or have conflicts with what is being required of you. Right? Often God is inviting you and challenging you and it feels uncomfortable. But the true test of obedience Right, is are you willing to obey? Right, learning how to die to yourself, put, killing and, and killing the deeds of the body because you know that Jesus is your king. You know, I, I share this with you um, because this is something that I've been, you know, I, as I mentioned before, it's just learning while I'm in uh, East Asia. In uh, 2021, um, our I guess, director, pastor, or head pastor of all of AMI China, Pastor Sung, he challenged me to start a college ministry in East Asia, uh, in Shanghai. I wasn't sure how I was going to start. Uh, there was so much uncertainty. Uh, first off, college ministry is extremely uh, sensitive. Um, right? It's one ministry that many churches do not touch. Right, because you know, the government, they, they want to protect their, their future, their, you know, their brightest students. And so it's very sensitive. Second, uh, the pandemic blocked off uh, visitors from entering the campus. Right, you can't even go in, visitors can't even go in. And, and I began to actually complain uh, to uh, my pastor that it was impossible, right? it was too hard. But deep down, as I was examining, I realized what was motivating me to complain and, and just to kind of talk to him was actually I was fearful of failure. Right? I never started a ministry from scratch and to do it in this, in this political climate was far too difficult. 
What if I failed? Right? What if I couldn't accomplish it? What would my church think of me? And, you know, the, the pastor, he just said, just seek the Lord. And when I heard that, I felt very uncomfortable. Right? I felt very uncomfortable because, right, for me, waiting, right, is not being productive. Waiting is inefficient. Waiting means I can't do anything. I would rather go, you know, hand out flyers. I'd rather go meet up with people. But he says, just seek the Lord. Reluctantly, I, I just I went ahead and, and did it because there's, you know, nothing else to do. You can't really just go on campus. And I just started to pray and wait on the Lord. And I would go to different campuses and just, you know, walk on the outside and just do prayer walks. Sometimes we, my intern and I would drive an hour and a half away just to do a 30 to 40 minute uh, prayer walk. And we did this for uh, three to four months, just walking and praying. One day, uh, my intern, uh, she receives a text from a student from inside the campus. And she asks, hey, do you know any English corners around the area? You know, I tell her, no, we don't. But if you want, we can do a one-on-one -on -one with you. The girl said, sure, but would it be okay if I brought one more student with me? She texts again, and she says, hey, um, actually, sorry, but can, we, can I bring six more students? We can meet in the coffee shop outside. And so we had our first English corner, and then after the English corner, she came up to me. And she said, I don't think six is enough. I think I can find more. I think I can find more guys. And this slowly, you know, this English corner slowly started to build into two different English corners. And we have influence over uh, in, in four different campuses. And so our ministry just started, right? We had our first, this is our first small group. This is our English corner Thanksgiving party. Uh, we, we did our first alpha, and this is our Holy Spirit retreat. And then we started an online um, a Bible study during the, the citywide lockdown. And we meet um, every, we, meet, uh, we don't have a set time, but we meet uh, for an hour and a half just doing inductive Bible studying and reading. And, and these students, they're so hungry to know the Lord. And during this time, right, the student, a student was saved. We developed a wonderful relationships. And, and this fall, we felt God, you know, asking us, inviting us to move closer uh, to the campuses. And we're taking this leap of faith. Right, we're leaving our, our family, we're leaving our, you know, PVD family. We're still be in touch with them, but we're, we're, we're an hour and a half away. You know, our, our, these close relationships, you know, we won't be able, it will be hard to maintain, but we're taking the leap of faith because we really feel the Holy Spirit inviting us to go. It's going to be challenging, but something that my wife and I, we've been talking about is that we realize that we are not afraid. In fact, God, he's just blessed us with so much. He's prepared, you know, Micah's school. He's prepared a home, right? Our landlord, believe it or not, is actually American in China. Can you, can you imagine that? He's American. We were doing all the paperwork in English. Oh, it was so wonderful. <laughs> and as, as we're just kind of looking at the blessings that God has provided for us, I think we're still struggling. We still have... It's, it's still difficult. It's still challenging. There's still fear, but a little bit of fear, but we realize it's less. We, we believe that God, he's great and awesome. We believe that God will protect us. We believe 
that he is with us and we are at peace. I think many of you have been Christians for a long time. But at the same time, the spiritual maturity is still a little fuzzy. You measure spiritual maturity by the things you do at church, in your home, how many people you led to Christ, how many mission trips you go on, all these things. I think these are really good. You need to continue to do them. But in this passage, Paul is challenging you and me that spiritual maturity is living a life that is mindful of the Spirit, where you're constantly in relationship and asking, God, what is it that you want for me and my family? And once you ask, and once you know to obey him, and it will not be easy, but Paul, he, this is what he says. He says, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, he says, you will live. You will have abundant life. And, and as Christians, this is something that we must learn and strive for. You won't get it in one day, in one night. It's, it's a process, but it's something that we must all desire. Amen? Amen.